But it's so good to see your faces, even if they're not smiling. It's good to see your smiling face, because uh, I know inside you're smiling. Um, but we're coming to the end of this series that we've been calling Prodigal. We've been looking at this parable of Jesus um, that he told to, to some uh, tax collectors and sinners and also to the religious. The first week of this series, we talked about the younger brother. Um, last week, we covered the older brother. And finally, today... The air is going to kick on, and we're going to talk about the Father uh, in this story. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. It decided to turn right off. I think Jesus heard me of like, please turn off the air. Luke chapter uh, 15, we're going to be in verse 20. Before we get there, let me give you a little background, just in case you weren't here the last two weeks or you're just catching up with us. Um, this is the story of the parable, um, or the parable of the uh, prodigal son. Um, so essentially what's happened up to this point in the story is the younger son came to the father. He said, you know, father, give me in my inheritance. I want nothing to do with you. I'm out. Um, and that's what he did. Father gave him his inheritance. Um, he he uh, took that inheritance. He squandered that inheritance. He eventually ended up with the pigs and said, anything's better than this. I'm going to go back to my father's house and at least be a servant. Um, and then we see uh, the father's response to all that. So today we're going to look at that specific response because really the hero of this story Maybe not the focus of the story, but the hero of the story really is the father. Like that's, that's the, the characteristics is if you're a follower of Jesus, these are the characteristics that we want to take on. We want to imitate the father, right? We don't want to imitate the, the younger brother. We learned that week one. We don't want to imitate the older brother. We learned that, learned that week two. We learned how to get back to the father. Um, but really we want to take on these characteristics of the father. And that's really why we started. We're, we're three weeks in on Hill City Weekly Services and we started with the prodigal son because we want this to be a part of our culture. We want this story of no matter where you're coming from, whether you have a religious background or, or you feel like you're just a sinner, unwanted, um, we have a place here. So this is a, a key message for us of like, hey, if you call Hill City home, these are the characteristics that we want to take on as the father um, showed us here. But this is Luke chapter 15 again. Um, this is the son's just co coming back and the father seeing him for the first time. It says, so he got up, this is the son, got up and went to his father. But when the son was still a long ways off, his father saw him. How many times did the father walk by that road and just take a glance to see if his kid was coming home? How many times when he's doing his chores, he's moving the cattle from one field to the next field and he just just a quick, a quick little glance just to see if his, his kid was coming down the road. Like that's the heart of the father here. Like he, he, he held out hope that his kid was going to turn it around. He held out hope that his kid was going to come home. And he just took a little glance every single time just to see. And this time he was there. But while the son was still a long ways off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran, he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. So she said, Restore him as my son. Put, put the family ring on his, on his finger, put sandals on his feet because he's no longer hired help. He belongs here. Verse 23, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. So they began to celebrate. We learned last week <clears throat> that the older brother shows up and he's like, 
what the heck? Um, how dare you celebrate this whole thing? Um, and we even see with, with the father here, his response to the son in verse 31, if you want to skip a little bit ahead. Um, the, the older son just blasted him. You didn't do this for me. You didn't do this for me. You didn't do this for me. And the father, probably rightfully so, could have just put him in his place. How dare you? But he says in verse 31, he says, he doesn't say jerk. He doesn't say stronger words than jerk that I can't say from a church stage. Right? No, he said, he said, son, son, you've been always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Keyword there, had. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. If, if we're really going to try to imitate the Father, if that's our goal as followers of Jesus, it's the Father we want to imitate, we have to, we have to care about the things that he cared about. We briefly talked about this last week, right? He repeated this twice. He repeated this phrase right at the end twice. He repeated it to the this son. He repeated it to the older brother. He also repeated it in the two parables he told leading up to this story. This is the heart of God. He was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The heart of the father, that the dead and the lost come home. That the dead and the lost come or Jesus said it this way. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That, that's the heart of God. That's, that's why he sent Jesus. He wants to see those that are lost, those that don't know Jesus yet, those that haven't experienced the love and, and, and the forgiveness and the relationship that you've experienced as a follower of Jesus, those haven't, that haven't experienced it yet, he wants those to experience it. That's why he came. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But he'll give us choice, and he'll give us will, and some will stray. But he wants everyone to come home. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. And it should be the same heart for his believers. We should be doing anything and everything in our power to see those that were lost be found. We should do anything and everything in our power to be a part of that story. And when they do, we should celebrate. We shouldn't come with expectations. We shouldn't come with like, hey, clean yourself up, make yourself right, and then you can come into this place. No, we should be as excited as the father was. Who knows what the younger brother looked like when he was walking up. You know, the father didn't know any of the story. He didn't know what he had done at that point or, and if he had any money left, but he looked at his son and he said, my son is in some pretty rough shape. And that's my son, so I'm going to love him. And he celebrated and we should do the same. But if that's the, heart, the Father's heart, how, how did he do it? And how do we do it, really, is the question. If we want to celebrate when, when someone comes to know Jesus, how do we get them to the place where they're going to come to know Jesus? Well, there's, there's a handful of it. There's God's part. He's got to draw the person's heart. That, there's their part. They have to make the decision um, to come. But then there's our part. We're just going to be the people that are going to invite and love people well. But how do we invite and love people well? Well, let's, let's look back at these verses and use the Father as our example. In verse 20, if you go back there. So, so he got up, this is the son, and went to his father. But when the son was so long ways away off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Compassion. Circle it, underline it. But that's the peace of his follower of Jesus that we should, we should live into and lean on, is Compassion. 
I think all too often we see those that maybe aren't like us. We see those that, that are living a life that are, you know, directly a violation of how we think they should be living it because God said do it differently. And yet we don't come with compassion, we come with judgment. We want them to come to know Jesus so their behavior changes and it stops getting on me. Instead of just saying, hey, where you're at, I'm going to show compassion. Do you think the, the, son, the younger son was dirty? Of course he was. He was coming from a pig pen. Probably hadn't showered in, in weeks, if not months. And the first thing that the father did was he ran and he grabbed his son and pulled him up into his arms. It's the same type of love that we should function inside of. It's that compassion. Are, are, are we living this life in such a way that, that we're seeing people and, and where they're stuck? And having compassion that they're stuck there. Not looking at it from perspective, it's your fault, you got yourself there. But looking at the perspective, man, I, I wish you knew better. I wish you knew there was a better way. I wish you knew that, that Jesus will take you exactly as you are and love you where you're at. But he loves you so much, he doesn't want to get you, let you be stuck there. Are we showing compassion? We look at the rest of these parables that came before. We had the parable of the lost sheep. Parable of the lost sheep, there's, there's 100 sheep. Um, he has 99 of them here, one straight off. And what does he do? Well, he shows compassion. He chases after the one. He knows the 99 are safe in the pen. They're good. He doesn't have to worry about them, but he's going to go searching for that one that just kind of walked off. It's a similar thing that happens in this life. The enemy's good at what he does, and he just wants, us, wants to see the wandering. Wants to be like, yeah, there's probably a better way over here. We see this from the beginning of time, right? We go all the way back to Genesis, the, the creation of the world, and Adam and Eve. What does the serpent say? Did he really say, right? We can look at that with judgment and be like, nah, they, they, they asked for this. We can look at that with compassion of like, man, that lost sheep all by himself, like he needs a family, he needs a home. I'm going to go searching for him. Or you look at the lost coin. Lost coin that showed compassion. That, that lady was going to tear her house apart till she find that coin. She turned her lights on. She, she swept all around. She looked carefully. She was looking for that coin because that coin mattered just like people matter and then you had the lost son who was with the father at one point the father raised him he's probably in his late teens early 20s uh, as he's being sent out with this inheritance the father let him make that decision not only did he let him make that decision he essentially enabled him to make the decision he gave the money to live it but he let him he let him Make the choice because compassion in that moment was let him do as he wants to do because I know how I raised him. When he gets to the lowest place, he'll come back. He'll make his way. It's essentially what, what, what the father showing compassion there in that, that story of the lost son. And what happened? He came home. And as hard as it is at times for us to show compassion to other people's lives, it's, it's the life that Jesus has called us to. So the question then becomes, why don't we show compassion at times? Why don't I love people in such a way that I'm going to do anything and everything to find them? Why don't I love people in such a way that I'm going to turn the house upside down so they can hear the gospel and come to know Jesus as I've come to know him? At least for me, I think the biggest piece is, I don't think God loves me as much as he actually does. As we're worshiping and as we worship on a regular basis, it's really easy for me to say, God, I love you. Thank you so much. You're awesome. 
but it's a lot more difficult for me to say, God, I believe you love me. And I wish it was different, but it's true at times, and I would guess there's a fair amount of us in the room that feel that way. That God's love is on some weird condition. It's like a faucet that's pouring out and I do more good things for God, the faucet opens up more. But when I do more bad things for, you know, against God, the faucet shows up, closes up a little bit less. I just feel like I'm not getting the same amount of love that I had before. But intellectually, we look at it and say, well, that's not God's love. God's love is more like water just covering the earth. I know that's a bad example from Scripture, but follow with me. If you didn't know, Noah, the flood, all those bad things. But, but water, when it, when it comes in, it seeps into even the darkest of places, right? Have you ever had a leak in your house and you're shocked at where that water went? That's what water does. That's the love of God. It's creeping into everything. Darkness isn't going to stand against it. But oftentimes for me, I look at it and say, well, maybe that love's not for, for me. It's like this. Think of the smartest person you know. And if it's me, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just kidding. But think of the smartest person you know. Now, if you take the smartest person you know, whether you don't even know them like personally, you just know them from a distance, and you compare that to God, what's the fraction of their smartness to God? Some crazy number, right? One hundredth, one thousandth, one billionth, one quadrillionth, whatever comes after one quadrillionth, right? Like there's such a small little piece of their knowledge compared to the almighty, all-knowing God. Or how about the strongest? Strongest person you know. It may be me, and that's great. appreciate that. Uh, really, s- sermons are just to boost my confidence. Um, just kidding. But may, you look at that strongest person, and you compare the strongest person you know to the power of God, and they don't even compete. It's such a small, minuscule fraction that I can't even put my, my head around that. But then when it comes to the love of God, Think of the most loving person you know. And intellectually, oftentimes, we look at it and say, oh yeah, of course God. Of course God loves more than that. But for whatever reason with love, we bring love with God down to our level. We compare it to the things that we know. So my, you know, your spouse, I don't have a spouse, but if you had a spouse, how much your spouse can love you? Or your love becomes Conditional. Or we apply all these things that are true of humans, us, and we bring God down to that level. But the love of God is so much greater than that. That no matter what I do, no matter what life I've lived, the love of God is greater than that. And I think oftentimes we don't fully embrace or understand how much God genuinely loves you. So we don't have this desire for other people to experience that love. Because we think this faucet has been turned off because I just haven't done enough for him. Or I've done too many bad things. And they've outweighed the, the love of God. But that's just not true. We look at the baptism of Jesus found in the Gospels. Before Jesus performed any miracles. Before he preached any sermons. Before he healed anybody. He came out of the water and God the Father in a big, booming, loud voice said, that's my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. Why? Because he was his. Just like us coming back as the young, as the young brother. 
if we know Jesus for his child, we're his son, and we're his daughter. Nothing's going to change that. I can't outsin God's grace as much as I try. But there's this love that God has for us that I think, it, it, at least for myself, if I truly believed it, if I truly lived in the midst of it, of course I'd be going out to anyone I'd meet because I'd want them to experience what I've experienced. But instead, if, if God's love has flooded everything in all the nooks and crannies, I just get my little bubble. I'd be like, well, I'm going to do it my way, God, rather than live in your way where I experience that love. I'm not talking about love as a feeling. I'm talking love as truth. That he loves you. And I wish, honestly, I spent all week trying to figure it out. I wish I knew how to help you experience that love. To believe it as true. And not in an idea, in a space, or intellectually, but like genuinely know it from the core of who you are that God loves you. God loves me. Just because we're His. It's the beauty of what Jesus did on the cross. And I think if we really embrace it, compassion just flows out of us. If we really dig into that truth, it, it, love is just going to ooze out of us and it's going to be really hard not to be able to, to tell everyone why I have the hope that I do. But I think so often we've lied to ourselves along the way. We've been deceived. And for some reason, we've, we've taken the love of God and, and brought it down to human level and said it's conditional. God's only going to love me if I do this or I don't do that. Or I think God loves you regardless of what you do. He loves you because you're His. I have a video I want to play for you guys. Uh, I'm not going to set it up. I'm just going to play it. If there is one thing I want you to know, it is that of a father's love. A love that existed before you were even formed in your mother's womb. A love that's power and depth is immeasurable. A love that is patient and kind. A love that will always protect, trust, hope and persevere, no matter the circumstance. I know everything about you and marvel at our likeness. I watch as you grow fearfully and wonderfully into the woman you were created to be. Even though my answers may not always be clear, I will always listen as you question and wonder about this world. But never lose sight of the beauty around you and never forget the imperishable beauty you have within, where the world will deceive you and define beauty differently. But my desire is for you to see yourself the way that I see you. There will be a time when the pleasures of this world will seem more desirable than my love. You will face the temptation to find satisfaction in the shallow promises others will offer. And when you come to the end of yourself, when you feel like all is lost, Know that I am there. My unfailing, unimaginable love overcomes every bad choice you will ever make. I love you, not because of the things you've done or are going to do, not because of your beauty or your talents or skills. 
I love you because you are my daughter. So above all, my prayer is this, that you allow my love to be written into the deepest parts of your soul. Let it shine bright in the times of darkness and use it to guide your footsteps as you walk in grace, humility, and kindness. I will remain by your side wherever life's journey takes you. May my words comfort you in times of loneliness. May they ring loud in times of blessing. May they whisper peace in times of chaos. And may they speak truth in times of doubt. So that when the things of this world fade and turn to dust, one thing remains, a father's love. A love that will not cease because you are my daughter. It's that type of relationship that Jesus went to the cross for, where I feel safe, I feel secure, that no matter what I do, I'm not going to change the love that God has for me. We choose to embrace that. We choose to start to believe it. If you're struggling in that place of like, God, I don't believe it, tell him. That's what I've been doing. God, teach me. Show me what I'm missing. Show me the lies that I've believed about you, about me, about how this world works that's keeping me from fully embracing the fact that you love me, that I can sit in this place that's safe, that I can sit in this place that's secure, I can sit in this place where I have comfort even when I'm stressing out. And I think if we fully embrace that place, we can get to this place as a community where we show that compassion. We have something to actually offer where it's not just a belief system or idea, but it's a genuine relationship that Jesus went to the cross for. That I get to talk to the creator of this universe and he talks back. That I can lay my, my worries and my fears and my needs and he takes those on himself and carries them for me. But it's also a relationship where he sees the potential in you that's greater than you see in yourself the places that he can take you, the people that he wants you to impact and, and invest in. That's what we're chasing. That's the type of compassion and love that we want to be. That's the example that the Father set that we want to take on. This is what Jesus went to the cross for. Let me read this story to you, and it's just a fictitious story. But I think it, it brings this point home. Uh, many years ago, when it was still socially acceptable to do this, um, there was a boy who was continually in trouble. He was forever breaking the rules, always getting into trouble, and just choosing to rebel. He'd fight with his dad any chance that he got. He pushed against his rules, even that his father would establish. His father could not understand why. He provided for him in every way with a good home and a good family. He spent time with him and doing the things that he liked to do and going to his ball games and showing support. He showered him with his unconditional love, but the father couldn't figure out why this boy would just push away. He'd been raised in the church. His father was consistently reading scripture to him, and his father never provoked him to anger. He was a good dad. But his father's behavior, or his son's behavior, his rebellion was just a mystery. One day when his son was upstairs playing around with his baseball, which he'd been told repeatedly not to do, he ended up breaking one of the bedroom windows. 
The boy was 10 years old and certainly knew better than because his father had told him time and time again, don't play ball in the house. The father headed upstairs and he took off his belt. The boy knew it was coming, so he voluntarily kneeled next to the bed. But then the father said, Son, take this belt. Then his father took his shirt and knelt down beside the bed and said, Son, I want to give you seven lashes that you deserve, or I want you to give me seven lashes that you deserve. The son started to cry and he couldn't do it. But his father kept insisting until the son finally relented. This is the love of Christ. This is what he took on for you. I don't know about you, but my dad never took a beating from me. But my Jesus did. My Jesus took on the punishment that I deserved. And your Jesus took on the punishment that you deserved. This is what love looks like. This is the sacrificial love that that God showed to his child. He's showing to you. He's telling you, I took it. I've got this. Just walk with me. Never experienced that type of love before. I encourage you to start it with Jesus today. Paul tells us that if you can confess with your mouth mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died and was raised from that dead, that you can find salvation. That you can start to experience this type of love in relationship with him. And if that's where you're at today and you're ready to make that decision, um, our our first step is, is what we call baptism. Essentially just a public declaration that, hey, I'm now a follower of Jesus. I've realized that I was a sinner in need of grace and Jesus' sacrifice offers me that grace. Um, If that's you today and you're ready to get baptized, Noah's going to be over near the the banner when we go into communion here in just a couple of minutes. Um, And we have everything you need. We have all your clothes. We have towels. We're ready to to get you dunked and let you stand before, you know, this church family just say, I am now a follower of Jesus. For the rest of us that that know Jesus and are already, you know, fighting for that relationship with Jesus, um, we're going to time of communion. And remember, a time of communion is just some religious tradition that we do. It's literally the remembering of the love that Jesus showed us. His blood was shed. His body was beaten. So you can experience this fullness of life. And we're going to do communion just a little bit different. I'm going to invite the band up here. Uh, we're actually going to stand today. and We're just actually going to walk to communion as, as uh, they play this first song. Um, once you've taken communion, you've spent some time with Jesus, thanked him for what he did, um, go ahead and stand with us and, and sing um, as we close out the service. Again, if you're ready to be baptized, go see Noah. We'd love to do that with you. But let me pray for us. Father God, um, God, let your love for us become real. God, let it impact us in a way that hasn't impacted us before. God, let us see your sacrifice as the perfect act of love. God, help us fight against the lies that say you love us less when we do bad things and when you love us less when we don't do enough for you. God, that your love is greater, that your love isn't dictated by our actions, that you love us because we're yours. Draw our hearts closer to you. And God, let an outpouring from that love you have for us just pour out of us into our communities, into our friend groups, into our uh, co-workers, God, and let that love spread. 
God, let us see a revival over our cities and over our spheres of influence as others come to know you and they experience this love you have for them. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. You can rise and grab communion.